Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of the ABM Conversations podcast. And this is me, your host, Yag. In today's episode, we are going to discuss how to reduce friction in B2B content experience and earn your prospects trust. And to share his insights on the topic, we have with us Brett McGrath, the VP of Marketing at The Juice and the host of the 3C podcast. For starters, The Juice is a curated discovery platform for B2B content like Spotify, but for business content. Brett has spent more than 12 years in the B2B SaaS industry across various marketing roles, both functional and leadership. He's an absolute no BS guy, like we appreciate, and he wakes up every morning thinking about messaging, positioning, sales alignment, demand gen, content curation, what have you. He's really passionate and focused on building out go-to-market strategies that elevates an organization's brand and develops the sales pipeline. So without any further ado, Brett, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you with us, brother. Yag, thank you so much for the uh, warm intro and the uh, description of what we're doing at The Juice. You uh, nailed it. And I think you might deliver it better than me at this point. So I do appreciate that. I'm a big (laughs) fan. I'm a big fan of your podcast. I've been listening ever since I've been kind of back to in the B2B uh, MarTech space. And I've learned a ton from just the amazing guest list that you've had. So I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. Amazing. And thank you so much for the super kind words. And I'm really thrilled to see how this conversation goes. Right. So let's get started. You know, let's start with uh, the content creation part. The moment you look at a piece of content, it's easy to say if it was written for SEO or really to help a prospect or a customer in their pursuit. And pretty much companies of all sizes fall into this trap of becoming too obsessed with content for SEO. Yes, you might try, uh, you might actually drive traffic, but if it doesn't help, then it doesn't build trust. And if you don't build trust, your content isn't going to convert. But you, Brett, talk about it as the old versus new way, especially from the standpoint of reducing friction. So let's start with this. What is frictionless content? Maybe if you can give us an anatomy of what it is all about and how one can leverage it. Yeah. So when I think about frictionless content, most examples that I think about are on the B2C side or my life as a a content consumer. So I'm a runner. So I wake up every morning, I go for a run, put on my Apple watch and Apple music curates music that I like and it just gets delivered. I don't have to worry about it. It comes at me and it helps motivate me and I enjoy the run. I get back, I drink my coffee in the morning, I'm reading Google News. Google News is curated for me. I don't have to go look through all the articles that aren't relevant to me because I have a platform feeding those to me. And then, you know, when I'm done with work at night, my wife and I watch Netflix. We just got done with uh, the show Shameless. There's a lot of seasons and we're trying to figure out what to watch next. And Netflix curates content based on what we think would we'd like next. So to me, we don't even think about it on the consumer side. Content just comes to us and it's highly personalized and uh, frictionless. And now when I, I think about the experience on the B2B side, 
it, there's less of those examples. I think there's more roadblocks and more obstacles that we <laughs> yes. have to, we we have to go through when we're trying to learn and get educated, whether it's a topic that we're trying to learn about to help us be better in our roles, or maybe we're doing discovery on a new product or platform that um, might help us do our jobs better. I think there's a lot of roadblocks that go into that. So I think just simply put, when I think about frictionless content in B2B, although I don't see it see it as much, I think it starts with content that is written for humans and not machines and written and produced without roadblocks. I think to me, I, the best content I'm getting these days are sent to me via Slack groups I'm in or via Twitter DMs. And so I think as a business, you, since the way we're communicating with our peers has changed, you need to start optimizing your content to fit that experience. Um, so that's kind of how I see frictionless content and how maybe companies should start thinking about the experience that they're creating. Absolutely love this idea of you know content coming to you and in a way that you will appreciate because that's your taste or that's the kind of topics that you're going after. Now, you know, when we read certain topics or certain articles, uh, some of them, it feels like it's talking to a large gathering, you know, a common set of people. It's like a press release. It's talking from one to many. And then there are other articles which feels very one-to-one. Now, while there are merits and demerits for both of it, what do you think um, really works the best when it comes to, say, a typical B2B SaaS kind of a scenario? So this one, this question to me, I love it because it tees up one of my favorite marketing quotes of all time. So I, uh, I, I like to dig in, I like to read, and it's not so much the new stuff, but a lot of the old stuff I think can translate. So uh, Ogilvy on advertising, David Ogilvy, that book is one of my favorites. Timeless, yeah. Yeah, it's timeless. And he has a quote in that book that it's towards the end, and it I honestly think it's my favorite marketing quote. It's He says something to the effect of like, don't address your readers as if they are gathered in a stadium, um, but when people read your copy, they're alone. So when you're writing, think about that and write that letter to them like you were writing for your client. So love it. Yeah. To me, the days of batch and blast are dying. And I think personalization is winning. So, you know, when I, I think about you know, writing, I write a lot at the juice. Um, I've, I've written more in the last six months than I have in probably the last six years of my life. <laughs> and I'm trying to be very mindful of, of, of the words I use and how I use it. And when I, for instance, I write a newsletter every week, curate content that I'm learning from, hopefully my audience can learn from. Um, and in that, I, I have an opening section that I like to share what's going on in our world this week. And when I write it, I don't want to write it for for everyone, but the words I use is to try to make it seem that although this is going out on an email distribution list to a, a large group of people, I hope when that message hits individuals' inbox, they feel like, okay, he is writing this and it is core to me because the tenets of the message are about things that I can relate with or that are relevant to my world. So obviously within that response, I think I'm a bigger fan of you know personalization. I've been lucky to come up through B2B marketing, working for some amazing companies where personalization was core to the mission. So that's how I've always thought about messaging and positioning and never really been a big fan of uh, kind of the batch and blast one to all approach, because although there might be some small gains in the immediate, it's not a great long-term strategy. 
absolutely love this and uh, for everybody who is listening you know i must say uh, go out and uh, subscribe to uh, the juice's newsletter and the way i got in touch with brett is uh, through that newsletter i saw the content i absolutely loved it both jonathan and brett they they share some really really amazing content there so kudos to you guys on that now um, you know uh, let's let's now talk a little bit more deeper about content from a curation standpoint uh, you know you spoke about the netflix or the spotify way in fact when we look at the b2b space there have been a lot of curation platforms over the years i don't want to name them but over a period of time what happens is they all end up becoming a dump yard of articles so in short it's not curated from the standpoint of a consumer's interest but with juice hq now you are in the in the process of uh, curation like you are in the curation business so tell us a little bit about what content curation means to you and how you can curate things in a way that you're reducing the friction between the consumers and the content that is produced or shared yeah so i think uh curation is core to our business and core to what we're building it's you mentioned the newsletter i'm very mindful that although it's newsletters 2.0 as i've described it seems like everyone has a newsletter these days i felt like <laughs> yes. it was it was it was critical for us because it gave us the opportunity at the juice to show a little bit on the surface of what people will be able to experience with our product and by me spending time every week going through we have an inspiring inspiring content slack channel in our internal instance where we just share content every day i go through other slack groups my dms and it gives me the opportunity to read a lot of articles that are relevant to me and get me to think and then i share them back so for us curation since it's core to our product i want to infuse it into everything we do um there's an amazing article um by an author her name's Gabby Goldberg when i i started with the juice in january 1 as the first marketer and you know when i joined the juice jonathan who's our ceo you mentioned him he he had an uh, an onboarding kit for us of just you know helpful resources content our plan what we're going to do and one of the articles that i still read today is is by a uh, Gabby Goldberg and she wrote an article that you can find just google it if once the juice is live if the juice is live by the time this goes live then you can check it out in the juice but it's called curators are the new creators and her basic punchline and premise aligns with kind of our thesis is that content production is increasing across the board we're all as b2b marketing teams creating more and so that makes it difficult as the consumer to siphon through all of the content so it's the 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 role of the curator is critical as the volume of content go, goes up um so you know i, I think f- for me in order to kind of just three ways that that content it can be reduced is to me like thinking about it is like put put putting yourself in the shoes of of your your um content experience and 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 seeing if it aligns with what you're doing um talking to the market and writing like humans i think is a good way to start understanding how curation could potentially fit into your overall strategy right right makes sense but what happens is you know generally pretty much every company starts with that perspective but somewhere uh, when the monetization aspect comes in suddenly you know things change and the priorities change so that's where i was actually uh, getting to and because uh, also from a consumer standpoint what happens is uh, like we all subscribe to a lot of newsletters but beyond a point we stop opening them 
you know how do you make it enticing to make sure that every time something comes in i i feel like uh, you know i should read it like say morning brew does a great job of uh, making sure that every every newsletter that reaches your inbox is really really interesting yeah i i think uh obviously you know as b2b a b2b marketing company there's always we're always waiting for that hook and when the hooks that the companies deliver within their experiences um, become evident, then we we lose interest within um, our engagement. Right, the the brand doesn't seem to be come off as authentic because we know what they're trying to do. And so, I think for me in my position and any message that I would have just to the marketer out there is, you know, obviously our job as marketers is to build interest for the companies we work for, which means create conversations. I almost hate the word leads and creating leads. It, it, it sends a chill down my back when I think about it, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that's our job. Our job is to create interest and create pipeline. And so I think there's ways that we can do it today that don't look like how we did it five or 10 years ago. And I think it's, to me, the curation is a piece of this. Here's a perfect example. Yag, you responded to our newsletter and you said, this is great content. I've actually got some content too. Could you check it out? And could, could, would you, would you mind putting it in your newsletter if you see it, if it's fit? Yeah. What I, what did I do? I took a step back. I read your article. It aligned with what we were talking about as a business. It was helpful. And I said, absolutely sure thing. What do you know? We're here. We're talking on a podcast. We've built a relationship. So I think using your content to do things that seem outside the box and trying new things is a good way to begin to help other people out. And the more, this is, I don't know about you, Yog, but the more I've, I've focused on helping other marketers out, the more I've gotten in return. Yeah, can't agree more. You know, this is something that we spoke in our first meeting as well. In some of our offline conversation, we often have spoke about um, how there is a lot of difference between optimizing marketing efforts for the metrics that you're measured on versus marketing in a useful way. Like say, for example, at Avoma, I'm not measured on leads or um, say the number of content pieces that I produce or web traffic or anything like that. So Aditya tells me like, yeah, let's just do good marketing. Uh, make sure everything that we do is helpful to the prospects and customers. And you seem to have a very similar ideology. You know, you say something like drop the me-centered marketing. So maybe give us some examples of what you mean by me-centered marketing. And for the skeptics, you know, if you can also talk about if it's really practical to make sure that all your content and stories are focused on the customer and not all about yourself. Yeah. So first of all, hats off to your leadership team. I love that so much. And I, I, I've been hearing more and more teams as I've had conversations moving towards that and, and getting just being helpful and not being stuck in what I like to call attribution intoxication. <laughs> you spend so much time on dashboards and spreadsheets and you're trying to figure out and make sense of certain things. And, you know, by the end of the day, that's all you're doing and you're not being helpful. So I love, yeah. I love hearing that. When I think about some examples, what me centered marketing. So I think about the example that we've all gone through and, in 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 our roles in the various marketing companies we have where it's, okay, we're going to, build out this new ebook. Okay, well, we need design support. We need writers. We need all of these resources. We need to spend some money to make sure it looks good. And so all of a sudden, you've invested all of this time, money, energy, and resources into creating this 
um, article and then you say, okay, it's time to launch this thing, but we're going to launch this thing and we're going to put a big form fill over the top of this ebook. And we've got to do this because we got to make sure we're, we're justifying the cost of what we just did. Well, let me tell anyone who's been through that because I've been through that experience and I know probably a lot of other people listening have too. It's your, 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 your future customer out there doesn't care about yeah. that experience or, or the cost. They, they care about learning and they care about the education. So to me, thinking like we've got to put a form on this because we spent the money and energy and resources, that's an example of me-centered marketing. I think SEO, I'm not here to say SEO is not, not important. It, it certainly is a piece and it, yeah. it is important, but it shouldn't be your whole thing. You shouldn't be thinking about the the articles that you're writing and trying to bake in keywords to try to hit Google's algorithms. Like that's me centered marketing. It's not writing for humans. It's writing for machines. And I think the last example that I can think of is that's just, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me is just the, the entire sales process. So think about that ebook, right? I, I, I read the ebook. I decided to fill out the form. Well, next thing you know, it, um, my, the, the marketer on the other end of that ebook is, you know, passing my leads to the sales team and I'm getting (laughs) unwanted, uh, emails and phone calls just because I'm trying to learn. So like, and, and that's because the, the marketer is so focused on their KPIs that they're not thinking about the experience. So that's what I think about me centered marketing. And I think, you know, skeptics like, yeah, it's, it's, I've, I've been skeptical. We've all been skeptical. I think it's easy to be skeptical when it's something new and something that you're not used to. And by no means, I'm not saying don't ever talk about yourself. I think you should be talking about your product. Product marketing is great. It, it, it's needed in all businesses, but that's a bottom of the funnel thing. And I think you shouldn't lead with that. So, you know, I hope that that gives some perspective on uh, me-centered marketing. And I do think it is important to, um, to, to talk about your product and do it in a way. And I'll just shout shout her out because she's helped me understand this way to talk about our product that I think is core and aligns with how we're going to market. And I want to shout out Fio, who is the author of a great uh, newsletter. Go sign up for it. It's called Content Folks. Um, but she has this concept called product-led content marketing. And she was the editor-in-chief at Hotjar. She's, she's going to be on my show here soon. And she's fantastic. But I think it is it is a great way to bridge content marketing and product marketing. Absolutely love that. I'm going to go back and uh, check that newsletter. And I totally agree with uh, you on the gating part of the content. Um, in fact, uh, you know, something very recently that happened is that uh, we, we um, launched an ebook and we had about 300 to 500 downloads on a single day. And the first thing that I did was I reached out to my account executive and I said, hey, these these guys have just downloaded the ebook. Uh, don't ever reach out to these people. These have not shown interest in the product. And very soon we are going to ungate all of these things. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now going back to the content curation part as a base, you know, let's also uh, touch a little bit deeper on the content experience part. Now that you've put in this idea of uh, Netflix-like B2B marketing experience, I'm not going to, uh, you know, let you go without you geeking on this, <laughs> right? So um, tell us about the differences in user experience uh, in terms of both content access as well as content experience when it comes to the traditional way of uh, creating and distributing content versus the Netflix style of curation. Yeah, sure. So uh, my favorite topic. So I did a poll. Um, it was actually in the newsletter. I, I distributed a poll 
in the newsletter this past week. And then I, I sent it out to a couple other communities that I'm involved with. And it was just, I wanted to better understand the research process from the marketer's perspective. And one of my questions was, what is the primary spot where you go to research content? And to no surprise, the, the top answer was Google. Yeah. Google, Google, it was 72% of the respondents said Google number one. Yeah. Now, I think about that and it makes sense, right? It, it, we, this is what we all do. We all just go to Google. Well, when you think about that experience from your, your personal perspective, the time you spend researching through Google, you oftentimes you, you, you don't land and try to find what you're looking for right out of the gates. It takes some hunting. And bef- when you're hunting, the first thing you have to do is you have to spend all the time and energy get, siphoning through all of the stuff that is ranking based on keywords, uh, SEO, SEM, all of that stuff that's on the front page, and you click it and you read and you're like, you know what, this this stuff isn't really helpful. (laughs) And you do find something and what happens? You go through that sales experience that we were just talking about. So I think like that has become such a normal routine part of our research process that we as marketers don't know any better. I think I have found more value in building relationships on social and in Slack groups and sharing content that way. And that removes the friction for me. Um, but so, so that's kind of like how I think about like the, the, the old way. And this is what we're doing now. Now, when I think about the Netflix experience, the Netflix experience works because it's frictionless and we trust Netflix, right? We, we trust that Netflix understands who we are as people. And no matter what, if we haven't heard about that next documentary recommendation or series, we dip our toe in. We'll at least watch the trailer to see if, if it's interesting to us. So I feel like you know there is an opportunity, and this is what we're working on at The Juice, is to lean in on something you said, trust. Like We want to build and develop trust with our audience so that they don't feel like they're being gamified. They don't feel like they're having to jump through hoops. They don't feel like there's a hook on the other side. But what we're trying to do is give sales and marketing professionals easier access so they can save time and be better at their jobs. Like our core business and mission and and vision is is it aligns with how I feel as a person. So it's really easy to work there. Um, but that's what we're setting out to do. We want to help help marketing and salespeople um, gain better access and um find our platform and it be a place of of trust and it can be helpful. So just for my understanding, is it is it more like, you know, uh, I'm going to get recommendations on the juice based on the kind of content that I've consumed before? You got it. So so we, we're pretty obviously anti-forms. And so we're talking about this as we're launching. Uh, we're actually, our beta is at the end of June when we're going to go live. And then product launch, which I'm working on is, is following. But we, we, we are very anti-forms, right? We don't want forms to be in the way of anything. However, obviously to be a user, you need to just drop in your email. So our big mission is like in that experience, this is your, the last form you're filling out. And in that, there's a couple questions, right? We want to know what type of company you work for. We want to know what your role is. And we go through those few qualification questions up front. And those qualification questions aren't for us. Therefore, therefore the product to make sure that it's curating content that is meaningful to you. So that that's the process and that's our vision, much like a, a Netflix experience or much like a Spotify experience. 
absolutely love this you know i cannot wait for the launch of the juice and uh, i i would love to experience that so yeah pretty excited for you right so now uh, now that we are uh, close to this 25 minute mark we are going to the next phase of this podcast which is called the rapid fire section so the idea of this section is uh, to ask you five quick fire pointed questions and um, try my best to put you on the spot so let's see how it goes are you ready for it i love it yep let's do it All right. So here's question number one. What are your top three or four cringe words in marketing? Ooh, this is good. Um, uh, game changing. Everybody says game changing. <laughs> I think anything with acceleration or speed, faster, bigger, like those buzzwords. Um, I'm trying to think. We talk about this all the time at the juice, and I'm I'm blacking <laughs> out a little bit. Um, Let's see what else I think. Uh, let's just focus on game changing because I feel like that's overdone and everyone says it. <laughs> Amazing. You know, if you and I were in the same room, we'll probably be high-fiving <laughs> each other so many times. <laughs> Love this. All right. So uh, here's question number two. While evaluating content internally within your organization, what's your number one criteria and why? First and foremost, produced and written for people that were were that is our audience and helpful being helpful so i talk a lot about writing like humans when you listen to the 3c podcast much like it this conversation i i want it to feel like we're sitting at a table having a conversation and the listeners right in the room so you know authenticity is big so i think i'm very mindful in in making sure that everything is authentic. When, when I write, I have blocks every week, Monday afternoon and Thursday afternoon where I do my writing. And when I'm writing, I have my topics and I have structure, but I, I don't think about keywords. I don't think about any of that stuff. I think about how can I tell a story and write something that is relatable and that at the end of the post, the person on the other end consumes it and says, you know what? that's getting me to think a little bit different. So I would say at the end of the day, authenticity, and I want everyone at the juice to be a part of our content process and strategy. And I want everyone to have a voice. It shouldn't just me be me because I'm the marketer. I think what's great about what we're doing is that, that, that like that the authentic nature of how we're delivering content is, is something that day one, we had a new, we had a new employee join cat. I'm going to give cat a shout out. She and her first day was, uh, yesterday. Now, what I've set up is every new person is on the podcast uh, within their first week. So it gives them the opportunity to understand our content process and strategy and allows people to be involved with it from day one. So authenticity and, and making sure the whole team is involved. Absolutely love that. And I also had the chance to listen to a couple of episodes on the 3C podcast. And I particularly loved the one with your ex-colleague from Exact Target. I think that episode was absolute kick-ass. Yeah, I I have a lot of fun with those. The, us, there's a lot of ex-Exact Target people out there that I still will be tapping on the shoulders because to me, it's nostalgic and we can reminisce for days. So I'm glad you enjoyed that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So here's um, question number three. Recently, you tweeted companies that optimize their content to be easily shared and consumed in Slack groups and DMs are winning. I mean, you also spoke about it sometime back as well. But did you mean creating bit-sized content or did you mean repurposing the content for those particular forums? 
you know, if if your ebook has a f- form behind it, no one's going to share that in a Slack group, right? But if if your if your content is frictionless or without forms, it makes it easier to be shared in those types of situations. So so that's what I mean. And the best content these days that I'm getting, whether it's directly one-to-one, like you sent me an email or it's, it's in a Slack group, people are sharing content and I don't, it's, I trust them. And then since it's their recommendation, I know there's not going to be hoops to jump through. So I click the link. You got to remember as marketers that you always got to get someone to click the link. And if you have a brand that is, um, not very uh, click worthy, I guess, or have put people through, made people jump through hoops. Chances are people aren't going to click that link again. So, I, I'm I mean the latter. I think it's just being mindful that your content spreads in areas where you might not be thinking of, and a lot of the times it's it's through those one to one communication channels and in that technology we're using on a regular basis. Right, right, absolutely love that, and I totally agree with you. So here's question number four. When it comes to content marketing, some say start with distribution in mind and some others say focus on the usefulness score and the list goes on. So what's your starting point when it comes to that? I mean, not even content creation. I'm talking about content marketing per se. Yeah. So there certainly has been this just uproar around content distribution, which I think is needed and welcomed. Like that is something that people hadn't talked about for a long time and now people are, which is great. You can't, I can't go anywhere without seeing a, a new video, a new tweet, a new template, somebody sharing something about how to make your content distribution better. I right. love it. It's yeah. awesome. When, when I think about creating content at the juice, the first thing I think about is the marketer that we're trying to reach. And I do that by having conversations with other marketers like me. And so what I like to do, and I wish I would have done this 10 years ago. I'm 10 years too late um, to this, but I have conversations like this all the time. I spend 60 to 70% of my week having conversations recorded and non-recorded with people like me. And that gives me the best understanding of topics, pains, motivations, and desires that are relevant to people like me. And then what do I do? I go and I either say, all right, we need to go record a podcast episode on that. Or, Hey, can you guess, um, post on this blog or, Hey, I love this article that you shared. Can we talk about this more? So for me in our content marketing process at the juice, I always start with the marketer because I learn so much and it helps influence everything we do. Wow. This is amazing because you know, this whole podcast that we started exactly started with something like that you know we were pretty frustrated by listening to a one-hour podcast which gave only five minutes of value and we thought we wanted to change that as a marketer i hated listening to you know things that were totally irrelevant i did not care which college people went for or what kind of coffee they had in the morning (laughs) so i was like let's cut out all those things and make sure that this podcast jumps into stuff right away so yeah I, i i can understand where you come from it, and it's fu- it's fun, Yak. Like it is so much fun. Obviously, we're aligned and we have a similar mindset. And there are so many other marketers out there that are, feel the same way and think the same way. And like what I want to do and I, what we're doing here, it's like we like empower marketers to think differently, to not think like, to not have to use the old playbook, to not have to do things that made their boss successful really like 
think about so much changes, so much changes in marketing. And I think the best marketers are the ones that are able to, to see those changes, be adaptable, and above all else, make sure you're providing value to your customer. Absolutely. Can't agree more. All right. So here's question number five. We have a common friend, Jimmy Daly, who recently tweeted, SaaS companies that are really, really good at content should really consider monetizing it in ways besides lead gen for the product or, you know, uh, paid reports, etc. But do you really think that it's practical for SaaS companies? Like think of companies like an intercom or Drift. Is it really practical for everybody? I don't think it's practical for everybody. I do think that there are specific use cases where it can possibly work and make sense. So it's funny you brought that tweet up. I saw the tweet and I think I saw it from Jimmy, maybe like six o'clock on whenever it was posted. And I, and so my brain was dead and I was like, <laughs> I want to go back. I want to go back and think about this. So I'm glad you brought it up. I think to me, not not if every company went and tried to go do that, they would fail. But the companies that have built a great reputation who have spent years, maybe decades of adding and providing value to their customers are the ones that have earned the right to potentially do that. I'm thinking about companies like MailChimp and, and companies like that that have just added continued value. And, and, and so there might be an opportunity with those companies, with those big brands who have always been helpful to create premium content that people pay for because it's so good. And and maybe that maybe that's because they're bringing on bigger and better thought leaders in the space, or um, I don't know what it is, but but I think that th- there is an opportunity for that. There are, there are brands that, to me, like all, or, or people, if they said, hey, I'm doing this thing, it's four bucks a month, like I don't even think twice about it because that, that company, that person or that brand have, have built trust with me and I know what I can expect on the other side is premium. So I, I just, I think you need to have an established reputation. You need to spend years or maybe a decade of building that reputation and brand, and then you can offer it. It's something that fascinates me. I'd love to see the fallout of that. And Jimmy's, Jimmy's, Jimmy's very thoughtful. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see kind of if he knows something that we don't or what's coming on the other side of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we had the opportunity to have Jimmy on the show and I'm, I'm absolutely, uh, you know, I, I enjoy everything that he talks about and thinks about in content marketing. And uh, yeah, maybe, you know, I'm um, now that you talk about this, I'm also thinking maybe it could be an extension of something like what people do on Patreon these days. To, ex- that's exactly where my brain, my brain went to, Young. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So yeah, there was so much that, uh, you know, we covered in the last uh, 35 minutes or so. So thank you so much. But before I uh, thank you and let you go, I want to ask you if there is a parting message that you would like to share with our audience. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. And this has been a fun conversation. I think uh, above all else, my what I, I would leave the audience uh, hopefully thinking about is that B2B marketing does not need to be boring and it does not need to be what we've been doing in the same way we've been doing things for the last, you know, five, three years, five years, seven years, whatever. Things change so rapidly. I think always be adaptable to those changes. There are undeniable forces that go into play and people, marketers that are curious and marketers that question their surroundings are usually the ones that cut through the noise and are able to reach customers. So I would say like, it's, it's easy right now where, you know, 
there are a lot of changes for the better that are happening now in the world and we're all getting a little more comfortable. Don't ever get too comfortable in your role. Don't get stuck in the status quo because the people who marketers who get stuck in the status quo are the ones that end up producing content that's not helpful, content that's built for machines, content that is full of friction. And I think the more you can try new things, test, take things from B2C and implement it. And and the more you're going to hit, find find something that you'll kind of iterate on and will end up being core to your strategy. So yeah, I just want to leave by saying like, don't be comfortable. You should, I'm never, I've been doing this my entire career and I've never been comfortable and I'm okay with that because it helps push me and it, it, it helps push the companies um, that I'm working on. Absolutely love this, and that's that's really a wonderful message, and that that resonates a lot with me personally as well. Uh, you know, the more years I spend in marketing, I feel uh, there is so less that I know. So yeah, can't agree more. And uh, for the listeners of the podcast, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best place, and what are the best reasons that they can get in touch with you for? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I try to be pretty active on Twitter. So definitely um, at Indy McGrath, you can message me on Twitter. I'm responsive. Uh, would love to hear from you. Um, would recommend signing up for our newsletter. And if you sign up for the newsletter, like you'll get, you'll be the, on the list to know about when the juice goes live and you can just jump in and start using it. And we'd love to get your feedback, the juicehq.com. You can just, um, join that wait list. Um, and then definitely listen to the three C podcast. Um, that is, curating content creators. I started that at the beginning of my run at the juice. I mean, it's been amazing. I've, I've met so many great marketers and we do a show on Mondays with the juice team. It's me and Jonathan typically, but the other people, um, are from our company jump on and it's a good, good, we're, we're just an honest conversation about what we're working on. And then on Fridays, I have a conversation with a content marketer. So I'm having a lot of fun doing that. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to premium audio content. That's amazing. And uh, thank you so much, Brad, for uh, spending a lot of time with me and sharing uh, your nuggets of wisdom with the entire audience. So really, really appreciate that. And thank you so much. Absolute blast. Love the show. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So for the listeners of the podcast, that's that from this episode. And until we connect with you the next time with another guest and another topic, this is bye from me, Yag. Have a good day and take care. Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 